global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. U.S. stocks are climbing for a third day. We've got the S&P 500 index and the Dow Jones Industrial Average both trading at a record. 2151 right now on the S&P 500 index, up 14 points, a gain of 7 tenths of 1%. Dow Industrials up 118 points to 18,345. That's a gain of 7 tenths of 1%. NASDAQ is up 7 tenths of 1%, up 33 points to 5,022. The 10-year down 25, 30 seconds. The yield on the 10-year, 1.51%. Gold down the most in seven weeks. It is down 22.60 the ounce at 13.34, a drop there of 1.7%. And crude oil, West Texas Intermediate Crude now trading higher by 205 the barrel 4681 on WTI that is a gain of 4.6%. I'm Charlie Pellet and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. This is Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. Earnings and equities, do they actually follow each other? Let's find out more from Jonathan Golub. He is the chief U.S. market strategist for RBC Capital Markets, and he joins me here in the studio. Jonathan, always a pleasure. Tell me about the earnings season. You say weaker earnings, higher multiples. Everyone's going to pay more for the same dollar of earnings. You know, it, it's amazing, Pim. When I put this note out on, on Monday, you, you almost get these hateful looks from investors because they always think the only way markets go higher is because of, of, of a pickup in, in your earnings growth. But in reality, when earnings weaken, there's about a 50-50 shot that the multiple is going to go higher or lower. And it's really about very different things that drive one or the other, especially over reasonably short periods like, you know, like we're seeing in the last uh, several days. Well, the last several days could turn people into a bull if they haven't already bought stocks, right? You know, it's, there's this reluctance to believe, and you and I were talking about before we, you know, we, uh, we, we went live here about how this just almost seems like it's defying gravity, but there's a couple of things that I think are really forcing the, uh, the market higher. And the first one is, if you look at the yield on stocks, if you look at dividends plus buybacks, it's yielding 4.7% at a time where treasuries right now, I think according to Bloomberg, are about 1.5. And, you know, there's just too wide a gap between those and it forces people in. The, the other thing is companies are doing a brilliant job of managing in a low revenue environment of squeezing out more profits, more cash flows, returning it to shareholders. So companies get the game right now that this economy is not going to do it for them. And they're, they're really managing well against that. All right. Let's take those two things because you talk about, in a sense, relative yield, right? You're looking at the yield on a, Treasury bond versus the yield from stocks. Do you really believe that they're the same group of investors? Um, maybe not the exact same group of investors, but I, if you think about, um, you know, think about my mom who's thinking that she needs to live off of a yield, and if she can get more on a, uh, you know, more in a stock portfolio, if she has a dividend portfolio, she can easily get over three percent. And if she's putting money in a muni bond or a government bond, she's not going to get that. And so, yes, there's a little more volatility. And she also knows that the likelihood is over time that that dividend is going to grow on her portfolio. So it may not be the exact same group of investors, but they are looking at alternatives, you know, between A versus B. All right, which is what the Federal Reserve seems to want. They want you to take a little bit more risk, not only in what you're investing in, but what companies are investing in. You mentioned uh, also um, 
the earnings picture. Right. Give me your give me your best estimate. What do we what do we go through? Alcoa fifteen cents versus the estimate of nine cents made people happy yesterday. Right. So I th- I think we have to look at what's happening near term or in, in in the last you know year or so we've had what a lot of folks have called an earnings recession. What you really have is a a weak earnings trend where earnings are growing three percent four percent something like that. And in the last year the energy sector has collapsed and made it look like there was an earnings session a recession. The reality is is if normally earnings grow at seven, we're growing at half that pace. So uh, when you get rid of the headwind from energy, here's the here's the bad story. You're not going to get faster much faster earnings anyway. The trend is still a really weak environment. The the question for stock investors is can you get more upside without the earnings? Because I don't think that they're going to reaccelerate. So can you get more upside uh, without those earnings? Are people going to pay more for the same thing that they could have bought, let's say, you know, a year ago? I, I think it gets back to these these arguments, which is relative, uh, rel- yield. relative yield, this efficiency of, of corporate management at squeezing out more cash flow. Companies right now, for example, are generating about 20% more free cash flow than normal for every dollar of earnings. And there's one more thing. We, we, we talk about the market being really volatile, Brexit and upcoming elections and all these things. But there's a measure of volatility. You have the you, know, you, have, you have the VIX. You can look at it every day on your on your Bloomberg screen. And we are running right now at a VIX about 30 percent or more below long term averages. And when volatility is lower, you pay more of a multiple for things. You pay more for a less risky asset. And investors are, are more caught up in the headlines than the actual data. So yeah, I think there's upside. Well, here's the data when it comes to the VIX. The VIX right now is 13.5. And you're right. I mean, that is historically uh, low. And if you take a look just going back to January, when we had that big whipsaw action January, February, it was as much as 30. Right. And I look at if I'm measuring it in, without looking day to day over the last five years, it's averaged probably 13 to 14. And if you looked at it the last 20 years, it's averaged 20. So we are in a it's, again, it doesn't feel this way. We are in a very low volatile uh, you know, low volatility environment, and and you have to pay more for stocks in in that environment, and the market actually is doing that. So I think there is upside. All right, upside in the United States, or you want to look more broadly? I think the United States is particularly attractive compared to the rest of the world. In a slow growth environment, you want to be in businesses that have low fixed overhead. And so what does that mean? Service-oriented companies, companies with intellectual property, biotech, technology. And if you look at the U.S. compared to Europe or Japan, we all the innovation, all these service-oriented companies are really centered in those industries in the United States. In Europe, for example, very heavy weighting in banks and autos and machinery companies. In the U.S., you have uh, a whole different kind of uh, group of companies. So I think the U.S. is much better. What's the biggest trap for investors today? The biggest, tra- the biggest trap is probably, you know, we talk about risk as professional investors. There's a risk that you miss the upside because you don't, you're not willing to buy into it. Um, when I'm talking to even some of the smartest investors, they can't get over the fact that stocks can go up in a weak growth environment, and that's probably their biggest mistake. The biggest risks, I mean, we, we know what the risks are. I think that, that the Brexit was a head fake, but European risks might be real at some point in time. Um, but they what do you proved, mean, like European banks, like Italian Well, banks? yeah, I mean, for, okay, so for sure, it, well, again, well, I think that Brexit was an overstated concern. I don't think that the European banks are. I think that, that you know, if we learned anything from the financial crisis is when bad things happen to banks, bad things happen to markets, and that that matters probably more than Brexit. And anything which would threaten the common currency 
could have bigger ramifications. But right now, the market is telling you that none of those uh, bite us in the rear end, and it's smooth sailing. At the beginning of the year, you came out with a call that said that the S&P would be up for the year, about 9%. Right. Right. We're about halfway there, right, 4.5%. Uh, how much flack did you take for that call? I took a lot of flack for that 9% call. And I didn't think it sounded like such a crazy outlier um, until I saw what other people were forecasting, and, and until uh, until you lived price. through the late January, February decline. There was a you know there was a tremendous pre- amount of pressure on me to uh, you know when when the market was down ten eleven percent in February. John, your numbers are unrealistic. They were high. They were too high going in. You're too Pollyannish. You know, take it down and get realistic. And I believe that we we're going to see a bounce off of it. We we have. Um, interesting when we put this note out on Monday, you know, lower, you know, weaker earnings, stronger multiples. The debate we're having is do we raise our number because I think that this run is going to continue. We didn't have the guts to do that, but I do think that this run is going to continue. The other thing is this economic cycle, I think is going to be longer than normal. So I Why think is that, that? Uh, when, when you have a weaker, what, what, what causes the economic cycle to ultimately come to an end is the fact that you run out of spare capacity, the fact that, um, that you get inflationary pressures. Right now, inflation for seven years into the cycle is still well contained. We still appear to have some, some slack in, in the system. So in a slower growth environment, this is likely to continue for longer than normal. Mind you, the last 30 years, we've had a recession once every 10 years. Um, and in a slower environment, we could take that potentially even longer. What do you say to people that look at corporate bonds, treasuries, and they say, look, they've done really well this year. You know, the long bond, if you had bought that at the beginning of the year, you're looking at a you know return of anywhere from 25 to 30% capital return. I'm not overly, you know, do I think interest rates will edge higher? Yes. Do I think that they're going to run away and squash bond investors? Probably not. And people have been screaming that, that, you know, that, you know, that the, you know, that the interest rates are going to rise and kill bond investors for the last five years. And, and, and it, and it hasn't, um, happened. The, the futures market. So what the market's prediction of where things are going to be a year, two years, three years out is saying that we don't get to 2% interest rates until 2020. Now, do I think the market is a little bit too, I don't want to say complacent, but, but that we, that we get something higher than that sooner? I think so. But I think that bond investors may be, better shape than perhaps the uh, the fear mongers would say. Well done. Thanks very much uh, for spending time. As always, Jonathan Golub, he is the uh, chief uh, strategist for RBC Capital Markets with that gutsy call. 9% return for the S&P 500. We are halfway there. You're listening to Taking Stock. We'll take you through to the close. And this is Bloomberg.